0: Back to more John Chuckery. No, 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 I'm having a good time, having a good time. Sports Radio 92.9, The Game.
2: It's time to talk all things Dirty Birds. It's Falcon's Flyover. With John Chuckery on Sports Radio 92.9, The Game.
3: Back in the Kia studios in Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. This is John Chuckery's show. Live on this Thursday evening, 404-741-0929. That is our Solomon Brothers Diamond text line to be a part of the show. Odyssey Apps so you catch us on the go. Social media nine two nine 929 the game. I am at JMCH316. He is at underscore Dylan Matthews. This is your nightly look at all things Atlanta Falcons. It is the Falcons flyover. So there's been some discussion. We've talked about this. You know, the Chicago Bears are saying that they – could be willing to move away from the number one pick if they get the right offer and and this, that, and the other. We talked about on the show last night that the um, Colts GM doesn't think that they need to move up to one to get a really good player and give up all that draft capital. So if you look at the – it's called the trade value chart for the NFL here in 2023, okay – and, and this is, I guess, like a point system, right? The number one overall pick from the Chicago Bears is worth 3,000 points, okay? To give you some perspective, the entire Falcons draft, rounds one through seven, all of their draft picks, only add up to 2,249.6 points, okay? Okay? So, you're probably realistically looking at a scenario like this. First round pick is worth 1,400 points. Second round pick is worth 460. Their third round pick is worth 215 points. And then it goes down into fourth round, 7670. You're probably looking at a scenario where you have to swap your first this year, give up your first round pick next year and probably either a second or third round pick the following, you know, in in next year's draft or this year's draft. So it's probably two firsts. Well, and I say that. You're going to swap first, add a first round, and most likely add a second or third round. I don't want to do that if I'm I'm the Falcons. And, And here's why. Look. No matter what your need is for the Falcons, okay? No matter if, if we if we narrow it down. I'm, I'm putting all of the unicorns aside, right? All the people that play 10 yards from the spot of the ball, okay? Putting all of those people aside. If you look at addressing your core issues, whether it's offensive line, defensive line, or quarterback, okay? You're going to have a player at an extremely high level to choose from at eight. You might be able to draft either one of the two best tackles in the draft in Paris Johnson, Peter Skaronsky. So you're going to either – you may get your pick of those guys. Or, and this is my personal preference – Maybe C.J. Stroud falls to number eight and the Falcons pick him. And by the way, have you seen some of these mocks that are talking about the Falcons getting Anthony Richardson in the draft? I mean, there's been a lot of chatter about that here lately. But anyway, or, yeah, no thanks. Or, and, and if you watched any of the combine today, all the edge guys are just balling out. Whether it's Miles Murphy, Keon White, um, if Jalen Carter falls to you as a you know defensive lineman, Tyree uh, Tyree Wilson, I should say, like you know Lucas Van Ness, like there are there are a whole hand because here's what I do know, okay? Young is getting drafted really high. Will Anderson is getting drafted really high. Levis or Richardson will be gone by the time the Falcons draft, okay? So I've just named two tackles, a quarterback, and five edge rushers that will all be in the mix. Any one of those players, the two tackles, the quarterback, the edge rushers, any one of those picks will be the right pick at eight. And you address what ails you. You're sick, you got to take the medicine to fix yourself, okay? In this case, it's drafting either your offensive line, your quarterback, or your defensive line. So you're going to get a premium player, and you don't have to trade up the number one. Yeah, I mean, maybe they value, and I'm just – I'm just using this as an example, okay? I'm not saying that this is what they've had. But let's say they covet C.J. Stroud. Okay, you're going to give up two or three players that can make a difference potentially for your franchise just to get Stroud. And I understand the idea of if it's your guy, go up and get your guy, and I'm with you on that. But not when it comes to the number one overall pick. Because there's so much capital that has to be spent on that pick. It's not like, look, and this is why, what do we talk about all the time? This is why teams literally just flip-flop picks, right? So, you know, the Las Vegas Raiders or the El Cucamundo Mungo Raiders or the, the, you know, El Segundo Raiders, Rancho Cucamonga, whatever they are nowadays, okay? Their first-round pick is worth 1,500 points. Ours is worth 1,400 points. So if you, in theory, okay, you swap those picks and you add a fifth or sixth-rounder, that makes the points work out. Or or you add a a fourth-rounder, that makes the points work out. And that's, that's how, honestly, that's how trades are made in the NFL. You, you look at the value of the picks. That's why it's an NFL trade value chart. And this was, you know, this was a thing. Um, it's been discussed by Bill Belichick. You've had um, different coaches, you know, Jimmy Johnson and different things like that. You know, they've come up with this system for when you start looking at trading draft picks. So it's not just some random thing that nobody knows or uses or whatever. No, coaches use this thing, and and general managers use this evaluation. It may not be perfect, but it's used as as to how you come up with those kinds of trade transactions when you're talking about draft capital. So it's such a far, you know, far away thing to grab a hold of that I just don't think that the Falcons – have to give up future assets to get a high impact guy. Now, if we're going to draft unicorns, guys who stand ten yards away from the spot of the ball, guys who you can who who basically when the quarterback lines up, they're so far away he's got to have glasses on to see him. Okay, if we're going to draft those kinds of players, then stay at eight. But, again, edge, tackle, quarterback. Like, there's going to be choices for the Falcons and high-caliber players without having to give up a one next year, a two or three next year, without having to give up your assets. Play from a position of strength. Play from a position of strength. All right, Pro Football Focus has their rankings of – Uh, The best means to get better, okay? So they base this off of, they group together draft capital, cap space, and restructure potential, okay? So on this list, the Falcons come in as the fourth best team as far as best means to get better. The Bears are one. The Texans are two. The Uh, Rancho Cucamonga or El Segundo Raiders are three. And then the Falcons come in at four. The Lions, Seahawks, Colts, Cardinals, Giants, Patriots. And yes, that's the top 10. So that's pretty good when you look at, okay, what's our draft capital worth? How much cap space do we have? What's the potential for restructuring things? Falcons are in pretty good shape. That's why this offseason is all about Terry Fontenot. All about Terry Fontenot. You know, I know Arthur Smith can coach. I know he can coach. He took a roster a couple of years ago that was dreadful, was really good in one-score games. Didn't drop back with Marcus Mariota as the quarterback for most of the year and then a rookie down the stretch. He didn't take a step back and wins. I know he can coach guys if, he give, if you give him players. Now we got to get ourselves some players. All right. Did you see this NFL PA report card that came out? The NFL PA ranked um, all different things. So, treatment of families, nutrition, weight room, all these different kinds of things. This is from the NFL PA. So, this was voted on by what? Over 1,300 players in the NFL. So, for the Atlanta Falcons, they get a B for treatment of families. That's good because the Cardinals got an F for treatment of families. The the Bengals got a uh, an F. Um D plus for the Broncos. That that was Sierra voting in all that, uh, Russ. Uh Jaguars got an F. Um, you know, there's a lot of, of D's and F's in that. The, the the Commanders got an F. That's because the coach was stooping the secretary of the guy that. She was hooking up with one of the players, and anyway, you know, it was made story, into right? a whole.
2: It was made into a whole docu
3: series. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Yep. Um, they get a C minus for nutrition. They get a C minus for their weight room. the The Cardinals get an F for their weight room. An F minus.
2: I didn't know an F minus was possible.
3: Well, I, listen, how do you get worse than an F? It, it you 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 get worse than an F. I guess right? so. Man. So um, I mean, what what would we give the Mets? An F minus? So F the Mets? That's a double F minus yeah. the Mets. The Falcons get a D minus for their strength staff. D minus. The Falcons get a B minus for their training room, and they get an A. For their training staff. Okay, I mean, at, let me put it this way: at least the Falcons had all passing grades, right? So they they got all passing grades.
2: we will be moving on to the next grade.
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly. We ain't getting held back. Right. We're 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 advancing. We yep. we met our milestones and and we're we're headed to the next grade. So past the CRCT
2: and yep. we're moving on. Yep.
3: So. You know, much like my daughter's graduating from middle school this year to go to high school. Oh, congrats! We, 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 we will, you know, advance in uh, in everything. So there you go. All right, let's uh, let's do one quick mock here. Chris Trapasso has got his latest mock out. Uh, NFL writer, uh, draft guy for CBS Sports, uh, and this factors in the Jalen Carter news. He's got, how about this? He's got the Colts going up to number one in the draft. You know who the Colts draft at number one, according to him? Take take a guess. Who do you think the Colts draft at number one? Now, remember, Jim Ursay, the owner, has come out and said, we're in the business of developing a young quarterback. Who do you think the Colts draft at number one in this mock?
2: Don't tell me it's Anthony Richardson.
3: Anthony Richardson. Wow. <laughs> wow. Man, can it, you imagine ooh. if Anthony Richardson in any scenario goes number one overall in the draft? There's going to be some controversy. <sighs> Bryce Young is two. Will Levis is three because he moves up because Carolina trades up to get Will Levis. Will Anderson is at four. Um, Khalija Cansey, the uh, lineman out of Pitt, did you see him run today? He, was, he blew it away. Um, he's at number five. Tyree Wilson at six. Um, the Broncos, or sorry, the uh, Packers trade up to get uh, the pick number seven in Brian Branch, and then the Falcons make a trade. The the Bolt they make a trade with the Baltimore Ravens, and they get CJ Stroud. If we traded with the Ravens and got CJ and, and we got we didn't get CJ Stroud, I would be kicked off for for everything. So. They've got they've got the um they've got the Ravens trading with the Falcons into the eighth spot for CJ Stroud, and then who do they have for the Atlanta Falcons? Um, they still have Cam Smith. Where are the Falcons? So the Falcons don't even have a first round pick. Can you imagine if we I, I guess basically this would mean that that we're getting Lamar, right? <laughs> The only way that that could happen, that the Falcons don't have a first-round pick this year and make a trade with the Ravens, is Lamar Jackson. So we get Lamar Jackson, but we're not drafting for the next three years in the first round. So how's that going to work out for our roster? It it is sparkling right now because, I mean, we hit on, obviously, we hit on Panay Sewell. We hit on Micah Parsons. I mean, we've hit on all of those guys, right?
2: Those guys aren't on our team. Huh? They're not on our team. What? They are not. We didn't draft them. What what did we draft? We drafted unicorns. Kyle Pitts. We drafted cornerbacks. Well, what what did what, what last year we got our edge player, didn't we? Oh no, we got a
3: wide receiver. Damn. It. All right. When uh, we get back, we're gonna talk to Brad Roland, Talk some Hawks basketball. Duckery in the Kia Studios. Sports Radio. Nights on the Game. The Odyssey. App.
0: How you doing?
1: Sports Radio
3: 929, the game. Sports Radio 929, the game. Back at it, John Chuck. We show, hanging out in the key studios on this Thursday evening. 404 That That is our Solomon Brothers diamond text line to be a part of the show. The Odyssey app is how you catch us on the go. Social media at 929, the game. I am at JMCH316. He is at underscore Dylan Matthews. Well, uh, listen, we've been talking about the Hawks and, um, you know, we were talking about them earlier in the show about I think that they'll we learn. We're going to learn a lot about the Hawks coming up over the next several days and especially up next week. Let's head out to the Wade dot com hotline. Let's talk to our buddy, Brad Rowland. He is the host of Locked on Hawks, part of the uh, it's a daily podcast about the Atlanta Hawks. Part of the uh, Locked On Sports Network. I think I've heard of them uh, before. Uh, you can follow Brad on his personal Twitter page, at BT Rowland. Brad, as always, buddy, appreciate it, man. Thanks uh, for spending a few minutes with me tonight.
4: Thanks for having me. Uh, and it should be pretty interesting times here at Hawksland.
3: Yeah, you know, and I, I know in the grand scheme of things that it's one game, but boy, it does feel like tomorrow night starts to get into sort of must-win territory. you got to protect home court, playing a West Coast team. It, it just feels like tomorrow night becomes must-win for as much as there is a must-win game in the NBA. Do you get the sense of it, or do you just not think it's as important right now for the Hawks to figure out a win tomorrow night?
4: I'm um- probably in the middle there you know it's it's so hard for anything to be a must win at this point in the season but to your point like they go on the road after this for four games in a row it's a pretty friendly matchup at home after two days off the Hawks lost a game that was very winnable um, on Tuesday so certainly given where they are and where they want to be it's a game that you need to win I think that's pretty uh, it's pretty obvious like they're gonna be solid solidly favored in Las Vegas all that stuff so like as far as like Nothing a must-win right now, but in terms of, like, games you probably need to secure to, like, fulfill your goals, it's pretty hard to
3: So I I was talking about this earlier in the show, Brad, that I really think starting on Saturday that next week is going to be one of the more intriguing weeks of the year, and we're probably going to learn a lot. You got to, you know, you play Friday night, but then you turn right around on Saturday and go on the road. And then when you end the road trip, you play on that Saturday night right after. So you look at the Hawks have not played well on the road. They've not done well in back-to-back. Trying to beat a team, you know, maybe like twice on their own home court, you know, where you win a series, is also difficult. It just feels like that there are so many things working against the Hawks that it does feel like, okay, we get through those – two series on the road in four games, it does feel like we'll learn a lot more about where this team is really headed the rest of the year.
4: I definitely agree. I mean, it's a lot of just measuring stick kind of things, you know, this just going on the road any, at any time for more than a game or two is a challenge in the NBA. Teams will always tell you that longer road trips are – they're just sort of taxing on everybody – Uh, And then this time around you're playing two teams that are not fantastic teams, but like Miami's had your number the last couple of years and they're ahead of you in the standing. So if you're the Hawks try to get those wins and then Washington just beat you, That's team you play twice. And also you start throwing the dynamic of you're playing these teams two games in a row, which is always a little bit interesting. And then, like you said, the Hawks are two and six on back-to-backs. The Hawks are below 500 on the road. Um, It will definitely tell you a lot about where they are under Quinn Snyder. And, you know, hopefully if they're still healthy, had some pretty good results this year when they're actually at full strength, which gives you some optimism at this point. But nothing is easy at all about going on the road for four games and then, like, like you said, coming back and playing, yes, at home, but playing Boston home second out of a back-to-back is a pretty tough one for sure.
3: Excuse me, Brad Rowland, joining us here on the com hotline, host of the Locked on Hawks daily podcast. Excuse me, Brad. Um, when when you look at this team for the rest of this year in this, what's going to be 20 games left to play, you know, I, I still believe me personally that, you know, they're not throwing away this season that there's for, for everybody that talks about the future and evaluations and, and different things like that. I understand that. But how important do you still think this year is, especially to Tony wrestler, especially to, I mean, maybe even more than Landry Fields, but, Tony wrestler especially how important do you think the rest of this year is to position themselves in a decent playoff spot and try to make some kind of run in the playoffs
4: it's an interesting mix like you said because the Hawks have been pretty consistent about talking about how this season still matters and they're focused on this season and that's been all the internal pressure the last you know, couple of years, especially going into this year. I think that you know, hiring Quinn Snyder, yes, it's kind of an interesting transition for the team, and it's happening at kind of unprecedented time late, late in the year. But no one is running away from the fact that they want to win and they want to win now. And, yeah, it's tough when you are you know, firmly in the middle of the play-in race right now to have huge expectations. But everyone is still focused on, like I would say, potentially avoiding the play-in, trying to get to that number six seed if they could possibly help it. And, look, I don't think it's realistic to expect them to win a playoff series, given where they are in the standings. just the reality that you're going to be playing a team that's probably better than you in the first round if you even get there. But they're not betting on the season. Like There's there's this delicate balance that they're they're trying to walk right now between, yes, giving Quinn Snyder and giving this front office that's still pretty new – some information about the future to make those future based decisions. But they're doing it at the same time as uh, a team that's still trying to win now and ownership still wants to win now and fill the building up and get that buzz up for the future, too. So they're trying to kind of follow two masters, which can be pretty difficult, honestly. It's kind of tough to do both things at once. But they're trying to do that, and they definitely expect to be uh, better than they've been so far uh, for the rest of the season.
3: How I, – I had the um, Utah Jazz beat writer on uh, the other night on my show – um, I've had David Locke on the podcast. How influential do you think Kyle Corver was in all of this decision-making? How influential was he in selling Quinn Snyder to whether it was Landry Fields, Tony Wrestler, Nick Wrestler, whoever it was, how influential was he in this whole process?
4: I'm sure he had a prominent voice. You know, they're very close. Kyle even said it in an interview of uh, during the uh, press conference to introduce Quinn that like, you know, he he kind of views him as this, you know, almost. I don't, I don't think he don't think he's said the word genius, but he certainly views him at a very, very high level. They're very close. That's been out there for a while. Quinn was Kyle's assistant coach. Like players have their own assistants, and uh, Quinn was that for Kyle in Atlanta. So they are tight. I'm sure that matters. But you know, taking a step back, you know, he's still the number two in the front office structure, and maybe even you know number three or number four, depending on how you feel about the ownership group and all that stuff. So like, I'm sure he had a voice, but he. I, I, I can't imagine Kyle dictating at this point, like decisions like that. And I think just if you look at it, Quinn Snyder was pretty easily the best coach available. So I'm not sure how, how much you had to kind of sell that internally, maybe kind of doing it now and not waiting might've been a little bit pushed forward by somebody internally, but you know, that was, really sure, I'm sure it helps, you know, even Landry Fields said that the first call, the consequence founder came from Kyle Korver. It did not come from Tony Wrestler or Landry Fields. It was Kyle that kind of made that bridge and that first contact. So that relationship, I'm sure, played a part in it. But I kind of hesitate to kind of give him all the push on that because there's just so much. There's so much involved and all that. You know, it's a huge contract, all that stuff, which I'm sure goes above Kyle.
3: Brad Rowland is the host of the Locked On Hawks podcast, a daily podcast on the Atlanta Hawks on the Locked On Sports Network. Brad, um, besides Trey Young, who do you think has the most to in this twenty games down the stretch, who who do you think is also the spotlight shining on when you look at this Hawks roster? Set Trey Young aside.
4: Yeah, that's such a great question because it, it clearly is probably Trey's nationally at all the attention. I'm looking at guys who you know don't have connections to this front office, like for instance, DeAndre Hunter is a guy that I think is having an important season. Generally speaking, yes, he he already got his extension, but it was kind of almost implied that he had to get better to live up to that extension and he's definitely had a better season this year but he wasn't drafted by landry fields and he wasn't extended by landry fields He's a new coach for him so i'm kind of circling him uh and i would also say you know john collins is a very natural one but also they might just be kind of ready to trade him any- anyway so i'm not sure if there's like pressure on john it'd certainly be helpful for everybody involved if he played better but you know the sneaky one for me is the centers uh clicapella Aneke kongwu Um, I think for the future and also for now, but especially for the future, like I think that long-term, one of those guys is not going to be here. And we've kind of done that for a while and they've kind of pushed that decision back a little bit. But if you're a new coach in Quinn Snyder, you're going to probably want to hitch your wagon to one of those guys, because practically speaking, the Hawks can't continue to have both of them on the team, not, not because of anything negative, just because the college is about to be a free agent and make a lot of money. Capella's locked up long-term. So uh, that's one I'm keeping an eye on, uh, certainly more for the, for the future than for this year. But as you kind of alluded to, I think Trey is definitely in a, in a class by himself in terms of pressure. Most of that's just kind of, uh, you know, just the natural thing of being the number one player on the team and also just the national pressure of all that. But, uh, you know, up and down the roster, I can make a case for almost anybody. Do you think
3: that when we get to the offseason season, Do you get any sort of sense that Quinn Snyder will have another voice in this organization, not just head coach and sitting on the bench for 82 games? You know, we obviously, you know, again, the title, President of Basketball Operations, that was given to Coach Bud, It was given to Travis Schlenk. Now Landry Fields has it. But everything that we read in guys I talk to and everything I hear, that Quinn Snyder – unlike in Utah, wants to have a voice in the conversations or something to do with building the roster moving forward. Do you think that there will be some changes to what Quinn Snyder's title, involvement, or anything like that in regards to player personnel moving forward?
4: I don't think it's going to be a title change just because they could have already done that now and they didn't. But from everything I hear... And what's been even reported out there in the last few days, I think Quinn is going to have a prominent voice. Whether he has the final say is kind of the more interesting question, because clearly, you know, Landry Fields is the number one guy in the front office right now. You throw in Nick Ressler, you throw in Tony Ressler, who's a very, very active owner. And Tony's kind of famously said that, like, at at the end of the day, he makes the final decision on anything, which is uh, you know definitely his right. He owns the team. But I think the safest way to put this, and I think the most accurate way right now, is to say Quintzider is going to have more input and more say than a typical head coach would. That comes with the price tag of getting him um, $8 million a year reported. That's a lot of money. It's not like number one coach money, but certainly in the top, uh, probably third of the league in coaches' salaries. And the fact that he took the job now, I think that's maybe coming along with a little bit, you know, not not, not a list of demands, but I'm sure he uh, wants some sort of roster control, some say in the mix. Whereas Matt McMillan um, certainly was, I'm sure, part of the conversation, but was very hands-off compared to a lot of head coaches. I think Quinn's going to be in the room. I'm not sure if he's going to make, make a final decisions again, but I expect him to have a very prominent voice in kind of shaping everything. And that means top-down roster management, um, sort of culture setting, all that stuff. I think that's what they brought him here for. And whether he has that title or not, I think he's going to be certainly a big voice in the organization.
3: Yeah, it's also championship-caliber coach money uh, because most of the guys that make that yeah. kind of money are, are NBA title uh, winners. Um, last question for you, Brad, with just a minute left. What do you think the future is for DeJounte Murray? I mean, you know, obviously this season, it's been a lot of chaos, and and, you know, he's only known stability from the organization that he came from. Now he's thrust in the middle of all of this chaos. What do you think his future is as he goes into when we get to the offseason? He'll be going into his last year of his contract. Do you think his future is with the Hawks or do you think it's with somebody else?
4: I think his future is probably going to be in Atlanta. You know, part of the interesting dynamic there is that the Hawks can't really extend him. Like they're able to, but. Um, not at a number that he's going to sign. It's just a very complicated thing that I won't try to explain now, but they, basically he has no reason to sign that contract. So he's going to hit for agency, and that's always uh, dicey. If you're on the team side and you want to keep that guy, and look, they'll, they'll, have, they'll have two years of data. I think he's played fairly well this year, but he's not like turned organization around at the same time as well. So I think that you trade for him and give up all that stuff, you have to plan on him being here long term, but he'll have his own agency. If he wants to go somewhere else, he'll be able to do that at, uh, at the end of his contract and, that's certainly a lens of more uncertainty than you might have hoped for if you were the Hawks when you traded for them.
3: Yeah, it's, uh, that's, that's a big decision that's going to be looming. Follow him on his personal Twitter page, at BT Rowland. Brad Rowland is the host of the Locked on Hawks podcast, a daily, Hawk, uh, daily uh, Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked on Network. Brad, as always, buddy, appreciate it, man. Thanks so much for spending a few minutes with me tonight. We'll chat again soon. Thanks for having me. You got it. When we get back... It'll be time for What's Bug and Chuckery. How about we get to the regular season before we proclaim everything is fixed and great and all hunky-dory in baseball, okay? Let's do that first. Chuckery in the Kia Studios, Sports Radio 92.9 The Game, odyssey.com app.
1: Is this person? It's John Chuckery.
3: How are you shocked? Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Back with you. John Chuckery Show. Hanging out in the Keyes studios on this Thursday evening. 404-741-0929. That's the Solomon Brothers Diamond text line to be a part of the show. Odyssey app is how you catch us. When you're on the go, social media is at 929 the game. I am at jmsh316 on Twitter. He is at underscore Dylon Matthews. We'll, um, we'll talk some Falcons football and specifically about Kyle Pitts when we get to the top of the hour. If um, missed our interview earlier with uh, Chris Willis talking some Braves baseball, we'll replay that coming up with to, uh, for you at the nine forty. All right. Right now, um, with 4:29 left to go in the game, Kennesaw State is up 66-61 right now. I believe that they just hit a free throw. So four and a half minutes to go. They are up 66-61 over Lipscomb. So let's hope that they advance, and then um, you know we'll see what uh, what happens from there. But um, yeah, right now. They are leading. It's getting late in the second quarter or second half, I should say. So um we'll see what happens there, but we'll keep you up to date about what goes on uh, at Kennesaw state with um, with the owls and if they can advance. and now it's sixty six sixty three. So it's uh moving and grooving, shaking and baking, cutting and strutting, eyebrow raising trail blazing uh, as we go along here and all this kind of stuff. So
2: you can make a rhyme anytime, can't you?
3: Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I do, you know, Earth shaking. You know, earth shaking, quick bacon. You know, <laughs> I thought you were gonna go groundbreaking yeah. there. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, but yeah. hey, you 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 made it. You made it work. Yeah. So anyway, all right. Speaking of uh, making it work, let's get to something that we call what's bugging Chuckery.
4: Don't look now, but somebody out
2: there just got Chuckery ticked off. <laughs> like that's hard. Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. It's time for what's Buggin' Chuckery on Sports Radio ninety two
3: nine, the game. You know. I'm just gonna say that, yes, I, I am the old curmudgeon about things, okay? Because for a lot of things, they were better than than what they are. Change isn't all listen, everybody loves improvement. I mean, nobody the, the saying is nobody likes change, but everybody likes improvement. Okay? Now that's based upon what your definition of improvement is. So Major League baseball, right? We got all these rules and this and that and the game is going along and okay, I mean, y- you know what? You know what? Baseball has been stuck in a rut because y- you don't have Fergie Jenkins and Steve Carlton on the mound anymore pitching a nine-inning game and we didn't have any relievers and the game just moved right along. But anyway, when you have 55 pitching changes and all that kind of stuff, but ESPN's got a story about the early returns on Major Leagues Baseball in restricting the shift. Okay? They say that in this first paragraph. Runs and batting average were both up through the first wave of games compared to spring training a year ago. Players were hitting 272 through February 28th with an average of 11.9 runs scored. That's up from a batting average of 272 or two uh, sorry 259 and 10.6 runs through the same period last year. Okay. Um didn't we have last year a condensed spring training? Wasn't that all that condensed and the guys were rushed back because they 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 were working out the um the uh what do, what do you call it the um collective bargaining yeah. yeah the collective bargaining agreement, okay? And wasn't there a lot of guys, like, even into the regular season that were still getting ready? And, you know, Charlie Morton was a guy who, again, when you're comparing batting averages in spring and you're doing it year over year in a condensed, shortened – remember, the Braves played 14 straight games to start the year. 14 games in 14 days – Remember that? Then they had another stretch where they played 14 games in a row. Yeah, because the schedule's condensed. If you sample everything like that, it's going to have some probably changes and things like that. But rather than starting off in spring training where nothing counts, nothing matters, guys are all split up all over the state of Florida – the state of Arizona, why don't we just wait until we get a decent sample size in the regular season? Is that fair? But before we make all of these proclamations about games being played and and runs are up and batting averages are up, like how much shifting goes on in spring training? I mean, do we have any idea as to how much shifting goes on in spring training? I know what it'll be in the regular season, but how much shifting is going on in spring training? See what I mean? Like, why don't we just exhale, and before we make all of these proclamations about how much better baseball is, okay, You know what baseball's real problem is, okay? A couple of things. One is youths, unless they're in travel leagues, don't just have pickup games of baseball anymore. That's the one thing. You don't grow up with baseball unless you get into some of these traveling. And listen, my stepsister has got a son that is going to play collegiate baseball. He's going to get a scholarship. He's a really good player. They were just down here. What about? I don't know. I think about six months ago that they were down here in Atlanta. They were playing at uh, at Lake Point uh, up there, right up there in Emerson, right? Is that what it's called, Lake Point? Yeah. Fun okay. fact: My girlfriend actually works there. Okay. So they were they were holding tournaments at Lake Point, and then um, oh gosh, some school, some high school or something like that near Cedar Crest Road or something like that. But but anyway, they up in Acworth. They were. But they were down, I mean, unless you're traveling around, people don't just grow up with baseball. You know, we used to go out in the backyard and play baseball games. You know, we'd gather at somebody's house, they had a big yard, and we'd play baseball. I don't think kids do that anymore. I don't see kids doing it anymore. That's the difference. That's the number one first difference is growing up with it as your youth. And the second thing is, We've made baseball so specialized you know you notice that they didn't do anything about the 45 pitching changes that happen in a game you imagine telling you imagine telling Dylan you imagine telling because I know you remember this right I, yes. I know you're going to remember this you imagine telling in let's say 1977 telling Steve Carlton and J.R. Richard. Squaring off against one another. Carlton for the Phillies, J.R. Richard for the Astros, right? You remember that? Yeah, all of it. Right. I was there. You imagine telling those guys that we're gonna pull you after five innings and we're gonna have five other relievers pitch the rest of the way. You imagine telling those guys that
2: they would have said you you lost your dad gum mom. Yeah.
3: That J.R. Richard would have thrown at your head. Before he had his stroke. You know, he had a stroke as well. He, well he's not
2: indestructible like you, though.
3: No, no. You know who J.R. Richard is? Yeah, I met him before. I'm just kidding. No, not the, <laughs> not the sports brief guy. No, that's <laughs> not the guy who does the sports brief after us. No. J.R. Richard was a – was a, until he had the health issues and the stroke and everything, he was a dominant pitcher in the National League. He was a 300-strikeout pitcher. I mean, he was he – was, you know, for, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but he was the black Nolan Ryan. I mean, he was a strikeout guy all the way. Pitch for the Astros. That park was perfectly tailored for him. But you imagine in 1976, 77, telling those guys, how about this? Tom Seaver against Steve Carlton. You imagine telling those guys that they're going to pitch five innings, get pulled from a game, and have five relievers decide their fate? That's how you get baseball to be sped up. One guy on the mound and and work them. But now we're so specialized in everything we do. We got to have 14 guys up to bat. We got to have nine pitching changes. But in all of this, before we proclaim everything is fixed in baseball, before we do all of that, can we not use... Results on March 2nd in spring training in Grapefruit League and Cactus League for pinning our hopes on the idea of what baseball is or is not. Now, you got too much dip on your chip. Whoa. Okay. I mean, is that a porno or, I mean... <laughs> no, I was
2: just you say you got too much dip on your chip. People got too much dip on the chip when it comes to saying baseball's fixed.
3: Oh, I mean, it's just... It's absurd that we're not even through spring training. We're nowhere, you know, nowhere near just yet the regular season, and we're making all these proclamations about all of these things about how baseball is so much better and stuff like that. It's it's just, oh, man. You know, like sometimes in life, you know, you just got to rub your eyes. I do that a lot on this show. I, I, I do a lot of eye rubbing and. Rubbing my forehead and all that good kind of stuff. Not because of me, though. No, no, no. Yeah, no, no. I mean, you're only half of it. I mean, so, <laughs> yeah. um, but anyway, that's that's what's bugging Chuckery. Yeah, no, no, no. You, you, um, yeah. You're 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 all good in my book. You're, if anything, you're- I'm the solution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now you're here tomorrow night, right? About that.
2: Okay. You uh, might have to spin the
3: wheel tomorrow. Okay. Yeah. See what I mean? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Well, I mean, you'll be here on Monday, though. Well, no, actually, I'm not even on Monday. Yeah. Who, uh, by the way, I mean, who's who's filling in for me to, uh, next week?
2: I believe you know? Chris is filling in for you on Monday, and I'm filling in for you. Is Go Chris, forth? I don't know. Oh, no. Chris Thomas is filling in one oh, day for okay. you next week. I'm okay. filling in for you on okay. the 9th. Okay. And I have to look at the rest of schedule wow. so, find out. So,
3: hold on. Chris is going to do five hours of Dukes and Bell? No, and he's not going to And then come do... in here four hours? No, nah, he's not going to do Dukes and Bell that
2: day. Okay, all right. I on. I, I I'll, I'll pull up the schedule. I mean, I'll that, I'll let you, you, know.
3: t- you talk about, you talk about a long day. Like I've and listen, you know I've done five five and a half hour shows by myself before. Wait, what? Oh yeah, I've done five five and a half hours by myself. It would be me and CCV behind that glass. When did you, when were you doing this? Uh, Goodness! In time changes and different things like that. Oh my god! Yes, late at night on a on a weekend or you something were doing like that. Five and a half hours. Uh, the longest that CCV and I have done has been five and a, we've had a five and a half hour show before. What in the world? Yeah.
2: Goodness.
3: Yeah. Five and a half hours by myself.
2: That is ridiculous. Okay, yeah. so next week. On Monday, we just have Hawks, so it's just going to be Hawks. And that's Jason Longshore doing Atlanta soccer tonight after the game anyway. Correct. And then Tuesday is when Chris Thomas is filling in for you. Wednesday is just Hawks and then going straight to JR after that. Thursday, I'm filling in for you. And Friday is just Hawks. So are they
3: making me run the board for Dukes and Bell, or are they – Cause I'm gonna be with Freaky, and then they're gonna make me come in later on, and <laughs> they, they might on the board swap swap out.
2: They so. probably they probably will.
3: Yeah, if you didn't hear, I'm uh, I'm with Freaky all next week. So, um, say a prayer for Chuck Ring, so that we get through all of John Freaky. Yes, him. Yes, Freaky. I, I'm just excited for Freaky Fire, Freaky Leaky Fire. I'm excited for all of that. That's that's what I want to. I I just want to make it till seven o'clock in the morning and Freaky Leaky Fire. John Freaky. Yes, Freaky. Freaky fire for all of it. So, anyway. All right, when we get back from the top of the hour, is year three for Kyle Pitts when he makes that big jump into the elite? We'll talk about that next. Chuck Green, the Kia Studios, Sports Radio, 92.9 The Game, Odyssey.com, app.